This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that weekly regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm joined by my daughter, Bethany, and we are right now getting close to the end of the Mere Christianity book study, that classic work by C.S. Lewis, affectionately known as Jack, because that's what he told everybody to call him. And this is episode 31, and we are recording it on Friday, October the 18th, 2019. So, Bethany, here we go. Chapter 8, Is Christianity Hard or Easy? And uh, it's chapter 8 of book 4, by the way. So, the ordinary uh, the, the dressing up as a son of God, to become a son of God is not some special exercise for only the top few. It is the whole of Christianity. Christianity offers nothing else. And with this said, ordinary ideas of morality or being good, therefore, differ from Christianity. How so? According to Jack. That's like the whole chapter. Is that the only question? Well, there's five questions. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I think it's cool that he's coming full circle here because he talks in the, he spends like the first couple of books talking a lot about morality. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool that he's come back to that. Um, well, he says that like, well, he starts by kind of defining morality and the so-called being good again. And he talks about how, like, with morality, you kind of, you, it's what he talked about before. So it's like, you identify who you are and what your desires are and stuff. And then you kind of realize that some of your views and desires are at odds with society. And that's where morality comes in, because you have to... If you're going to be a moral person, you have to, like, accept that some things are right and some things are wrong and that some of the things you want to do may be the wrong thing. And if, you, if you're if you striving, then you have to pull that back in. Um, but he says with morality, you're kind of hoping the whole time that once you've met the so-called demands of morality, that that you're, you're starting off self will be able to, like, move on. Like, you've met the the necessary guidelines, and now you can do what you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, he gives, like, an example of somebody, like, an honest person paying taxes. They're kind of hoping there's something left over for them to use. Right. Um, and that's kind of how it is with your natural self and then morality. You're like, well, I'm going to do all this stuff, but I hope there's some left over. Um, yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I'm going to overly simplify my answer and just say that the difference is, is that uh, morality that's informed by the natural world is basically self-determined and self-applied and the morality that is uh, determined 
according to God's rule, mm-hmm. is other directed and other applied. I mean, that's kind of a simplification. I just, it's funny, I took a quote from my morning readings. I was reading Oswald Chambers this morning, and I cut and pasted this one part of it uh, to Facebook this morning because, you know, pastors need to put something on Facebook once in a while that sounds very. I'm joking because it's the only thing I post and I'm sincere in it. Um, He said, the man and woman our Lord sends out on his endeavors as ordinary human people are ordinary human people, but people who are controlled by their devotion to him, which has been brought about through the work of the Holy Spirit. So I just like that because Chambers is basically saying what I think this is driving at, which is that that if you're devoted to the Lord, then your devotion to the Lord drives you to hold yourself to a different standard, and the Holy Spirit enables you to uphold that standard mm-hmm. and to accomplish whatever God has planned for you. Mm-hmm. So that's... Uh, that's kind of how I would simplify the big picture. Now, for for the one who practices ordinary morality, one of two likely results will follow. What are the two likely results? Well, he says that you're either going to get really, really, really mad and frustrated because you can't ever accomplish being so like so good that you're going to give up, or you're just going to end up being super unhappy and discontented all the time because you're never there you never can achieve what your goal is it's unattainable yeah okay and then uh so how is the christian way both harder and easier then well he says that christ tells us that we have to give everything we have to give it all um And so it's not like he wants this much of your time, this much of your money. He wants you completely. Um, And so he tells you, like, there's no half measures, which means that it's, which is hard and easy, I think. That's what he's getting at. So um, it's hard because you don't want to give yourself totally over, but it's also easy because once you do it, yeah, I, I, I've been saying something for years to illustrate how I've come to understand this. And it's really just this. Christianity is not complicated. Mm-hmm. But it isn't easy either. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't complicated. Living, living for Christ is, if, if you're wondering what the rules of conduct are, you're, or, or you're wondering what it is you're supposed to do if you're living for Christ, the answer is really simple. Give it all to him mm-hmm. and then follow his lead on everything in your life. And that's all you have to do, but it's really, really hard. Well, and Jack also points out that Jesus himself says in different places he says that it's hard and he says that it's easy mm-hmm. so that confuses people because they're like well how is it both but he says that if you really look at it like it makes sense that both are true yeah um and he kind of he uses a lazy kid 
versus a really hardworking kid to kind of explain it. Because mm-hmm. he talks about how teachers will tell you that the laziest kid in the class ends up working the hardest in the end mm-hmm. because they they don't put the effort in throughout the class. And then at the end, they're studying really, really hard because they're like, oh, no. Yes. We're at the end now. Yeah. And so if you look at it that way. Well, like, it's it's sort of, I think Jesus summed it up pretty well when he said, you know, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, a yoke is, is something you put over an ox's shoulder uh, shoulders or a pair of oxen shoulders to to uh, make them able to pull your load your cart or whatever people use yokes in different parts of the world even today to carry water uh, buckets and things they mm-hmm. throw a yoke over their own shoulder mm-hmm. and then use it to carry heavy loads I've seen bricklayers in foreign countries carrying pallets full of bricks on yokes that they've draped over their shoulders. And what Jesus is saying is is that his yoke's easy to carry, but the thing that he's implying that should be evident is is it means you have to put off the one you're carrying now. The only way that you can carry his yoke is to get rid of the one that you have on your shoulders now. You can't put his on top of yours. You, You have to trade in the yoke that you presently carry and exchange it for his yoke. Mm-hmm. And and that's easier said than done because what is it we carry that we don't want to discard and exchange for whatever Jesus wants us to carry? And we don't know for sure what that is until we start down that, that uh, path. Well, Jack says that it's that we... We want to keep our personal happiness as the most important thing for us to achieve in life, but we also want to be so-called good. Right. And Yeah. Yeah, most people resist the truest uh, fulfillment of salvation in their lives because it means that, and they're very aware of it. They're far more aware of it than they want to acknowledge it isn't one of these subconscious things. It's not like it's not like somebody can honestly say, well, I didn't know I had to do that. No. People understand, and in a way, religion, any religion, kind of creates this dilemma for people. The, the more committed practitioners of a religion are always there as an example to us, or the... Uh, figurehead of a religion is always there as an example to us of what total commitment looks like. And if we buy into that religious figure, uh, the presentation that religious figure has, then we understand very consciously, mm-hmm. I can never be that guy, you know. I mean, how many times have you heard people say something along the lines of, well, I'm never going to be the Pope, or I'm never going to be Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or something like that, mm-hmm. but but I'm living my faith. What that really is, 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 is a, a, you're defining the boundaries of your relationship with Christ. You're saying, I have no intention of being as dedicated as that person, because there are too many things that I would have to give up that I'm not willing to give up. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to criticize people. I'm just saying, let's be honest with ourselves about this. The honest truth is, is that you know 
what you have to give up in order to be fully committed to Christ. You just don't want to say it out loud. Well, and it's tricky too, I think, because our culture right now is so about the glorification of self-indulgence. Oh, yeah. Like, if you get on Instagram on any day, there's going to be some text post. So, like, a picture with real pretty calligraphy writing and pretty flowers and pastels. And, you know, it's just a real pretty post that'll say something like, do more of what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And different things like that. And and on the surface, that doesn't seem wrong, you know, because I think the message people are trying to send is stay away from toxic people and toxic relationships and things that will damage you. But, yeah. but it also says focus on you, you, you. Mm-hmm. Do what makes you happy. Take care of you. There's now I'm going to say this, but I also, I'm a proponent of this, so it's tricky. There's also this big move that companies are making, and I think that's awesome, toward making sure employees are practicing more self-care. And self-care is super important, so I'm not be, I'm not saying anything anti that, but the self-care thing can easily turn into a me, me, me thing, too. Right. Because it's saying, take time to focus on you. Now, I think people can practice self-care by making sure that they're focusing on Christ because that's the best way to do self-care. But we, our culture is very much in the the whole, like make sure that you're personally happy. Like your personal happiness is the most important thing. What if self-care was, uh, uh, in large part about following your doctor's orders? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> well, and that's what it's supposed to be. Right. So, you know, you know, if self-care is I went to my doctor, my doctor said I needed to do this in order to be healthier. So out of obedience to my doctor's orders, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Well, now that puts a whole different spin on self-care because it's outside directed. But yeah, because it's or other directed because it's tricky with self-care. And with the whole doing what makes you happy, because it can quickly turn into, well, I'm practicing self-care today by buying myself a bunch of stuff and treating myself to lunch and doing this and not spending time with other people so I can just be with myself. And like, it just, it can quickly. Well, I've heard people say, you know, I'm going to have a me day and it's, and it's this sort of implied uh, pity party because apparently the other days everyone else is drawing off right. of you and you're not and draining you and, on other and you're days. you poor person you've suffered so much because you you get paid to interact with other people because there's very few jobs where you aren't mm-hmm. paid to interact mm-hmm. with other people oh listen it's hard not to want those kind of days too though like i'm a card carrying introvert i know so there's plenty of times where i want to be like yep just me and things I want to do. And, and and I think it's okay to a certain point as long as it doesn't turn into constant indulgence in itself. Well, and that's really the point. So that it doesn't feel like we're railing in, no. in some sort of, of sanctimonious way. The The reality that I'm driving at is is that, well, I'll sum it up this way. I've, I've literally experimented at different times in my life and uh, often with this one sort of... of mental and physical challenge i've literally tried to spend an entire day 
without using the words I or me Mm -hmm. or myself. Mm -hmm. Like I've tried to figure out how I could communicate throughout the day without ever referring to I, me, myself. We had a challenge like that. And, And it's really difficult. It is. And the only thing that really comes out of it worth continuing in the future is it makes you conscious of what you're saying and what it's really about. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're going to use I statements as a part of communicating. But when when you think about it, there we all know people who every time they open their mouth, it's I, 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 me, me, me. And they are just totally Mm self-absorbed. And that's not healthy. And if you could get that person to try to go for two hours without saying I, me, myself, you know, uh, anyway, Mm -hmm. it's, it's an experiment worth trying. I would suggest it to you. So question four is what is the real problem of Christian life? When does it occur? How are we to respond? And what results are we probably, we are uh, properly, uh, and what results as we properly respond? That's what I was trying to say. I see Irma the cat, the escatologist is here. She was going to scratch away at the door, so I figured I better. We had to let her in or else. I understand. So, actually, did I tell you this? This isn't total aside, but it's just interesting. I was um, reading something from someone who works as a producer for one of my favorite podcasts um, because they were celebrating their 200th episode. And so they did some behind the scenes stuff. And she was saying that when she, they, they have, it's a call in format. So it's easy for them to control the one person's setup, but they have no control over their weekly guests and how they're, podcast stuff is set up and she was saying that one of the things she always coaches the guests on is if they have dogs shut the dogs in another room (laughs) if you have cats let them do whatever they want because it will be a bigger problem if you don't yep and that is so true with Irma (laughs) yeah it is she's (laughs) so she's decided she needs to be in here and (laughs) yeah well that's okay she's cool so anyway Irma's my cat (laughs) So th- so he says that the real problem of Christian life comes because people aren't looking for it. And, and he says it's basically that moment you wake up in the morning and you, you like everything that you're wishing and hoping and thinking is going to happen in that day comes right up to the front. And the tough thing is then that your first job is to like push that back so that you're listening to the more important voice and hearing the point of view that you need to hear. Um, so that the Christian life is the focus first. And Mm -hmm. boy, isn't that the truth? That is hard. Yeah. Because you do wake up and go, like I did it this morning. I was like, okay, I got to do podcasts. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to go to work. I got to, you know, and you just think about all the stuff in your day. And truth be told, the first thing I thought about was not, what does God want me to be doing today? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and. You know, I one thing I would would really encourage people to keep in mind is that again, we all have this tendency to compare ourselves to others, to people we think are holier than we are, mm-hmm. or people who practice the faith better than we do. And the first thing you need to know is, is 
you don't really know them. You don't really know what's going on in their thoughts every day. And you don't know what temptations they fight with, or you, know, you don't know their whole story. And the second thing you need to know is, is that, that there's the power in the word sanctification, which I use it a lot because the word means so much to me, but I'm very aware every time I use it that for a lot of people, it's just one of those highfalutin church words that people don't understand. So let me explain what sanctification is now. This is going to be complicated, so you're going to want to get a pencil and write this down. Growing up. Sanctification. Now, literally, the sanctuary, the sanctified thing, is set apart. It's it's unique, and it's unaffected by the things around it. That That's what it really means to be in a sanctuary. Um, the word sacred means setting apart or set apart. And, and, sacred, and sancti- uh, sacred and sanctified have a lot in common, those two words. But these are words you hear a lot or you hear variations of them in church and around religious uh, Christian settings especially. But it all boils down to this. We are to be holy, which means set apart for God. We are to live a sanctified life, meaning that we are constantly in pursuit of God. And that means constantly separating ourselves from the things of the world and our flesh and moving closer to our relationship with God. And honestly, the human condition being what it is right now, um, if there was a way that you could tick off everything on a list and be done, then you'd be a pretty poor human being. The reality is, is we need a constant pursuit that is never fully realized, um, at least as things stand today. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point is, is that whatever you hear and however it makes you feel and whatever person you hold yourself up against Give yourself a break. There's only one thing that I would give you. If I was if I was your pastor and you asked me in private conversation to be honest in the spirit of truth in love, here's what I'd say to you. Are you actively in a pursuit of God that you feel has improved since last year at this time? to where you feel closer to God now than you did and more submissive to God now than you did. If you do, you're doing fine. If you realize that you haven't been doing anything to improve your relationship with God and that you feel that you already do enough, well, chances are you won't be in my office asking me the question. But if you were, in truth and love, I would say to you, you need to stop doing this lazy form of Christianity where you claim the benefits, but you do nothing to maintain and improve your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. It will cost you something. There's simply no way that you can really have the kind of relationship with God that Christ thought was worth dying for mm-hmm. unless you're willing to pay the price. And the price is to, put off your yoke and take up his. Mm-hmm.
I'm preaching, but <laughs> that's the hard part. Christianity that we started out. Chapter 8, is Christianity hard or easy? Well, it's easy and it's hard. Yep. So, uh, so the author of our study says, I once read the weekly newsletter from a large evangelical church, and I counted over 40 different announcements, uh, announced activities. What saddened me was that only two appeared to focus upon what is the whole of Christianity, per Lewis. How it, uh, <laughs> per Lewis, how is it easy for the church to get muddled about uh, this, and, and what is the only reason for the church to exist? Well, he says that it's, you know, it, it's easy to get muddled because people will say the church has lots of different objectives, like the building, or missions, or education, or just worship services, and he kind of compares it to the same thing with the state, like the state has lots of different objectives, military, political, economic, that kind of thing. But he says at the end of the day, the state is supposed to exist to promote and protect the happiness of human beings. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, yes, the church has all of those things that it sh should and is doing, but the primary goal behind all of those things should be that the church exists for the sole purpose of bringing people to Christ and making them, like he said before, little Christs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can relate to that because Shiloh has a large facility and lots of stuff, and it takes several people, both paid and volunteer, to keep it up. Mm -hmm. And... Our lay leadership, uh, I'm, this is a work in progress right now, but our lay leadership can become bogged down at times in mm -hmm. approaching the things. And my goal for our lay leadership team, our, our Shiloh leadership team, my goal for them is that they would hold those who care for the resources accountable so that they're not acting without accountability because that's not a good thing. But where there is trust, let it go and focus on the mission and the vision. The vision is, is simple. The mission is how we get it accomplished. You know, how do we get there? And, um, you know, that's, that's because it can be so easy for churches to get wrapped up in themselves. And and I've heard many people put it this way. A lot of congregations worship their church building. Mm -hmm. They don't worship God. They worship their meeting house. Mm -hmm. And their clubhouse is more important to them than the person they came to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And you just can't. I, I can honestly tell you that I can think of at least one or two churches that I've been associated with where I said, Lord, what we really need is a tornado or a fire. And mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to get hurt, but this building needs to just disappear because the obsession with this building has become a massive obstacle mm -hmm. to the spiritual well-being of its people. And I prayed for that. I've literally said, Lord, you know, I don't want to be here when it happens, but mm -hmm. burn this dang thing to the ground. Mm -hmm. They need to give it up, you know. 
And with that being said, we pretty much covered the chapter 8. So I have a question, though. Ask away. At the end of chapter 8, he talks about, like, he goes into this whole paragraph where he's talking about how he could see how this whole idea of drawing people into Christ could apply to other things. And he writes, the the whole paragraph is about like how, and he kind of mentioned it in the last chapter. He talks about like how we, with our pets kind of make them more human. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how, because we love some of these higher animals, they do seem to take on more human qualities. And he said he could even see where like dead things and plants are drawn into man because we study and appreciate them. Mm-hmm. And he said, so he could even say, like, if there are intelligent creatures on other worlds, the same thing, they may do the same thing with their world. But he said that, and then he says, it might be that when intelligent creatures entered into Christ, they would in that way bring all the other things in with them. But I do not know. It's only a guess. Well, reading that and then having read all of his Chronicles of Narnia books, I'm just feeling like, and I, I'm just curious, I feel like Lewis, well, I know he thought highly of animals. Yes. But it just makes me think that he, some of his personal theology may involve animals existing on a higher plane in paradise. I will speak to that. I will speak to that. And I like that idea. So I've, if you're not I've had tell me people. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I think my answer will satisfy you. I know people, the very legalistic people as a rule. In general, they're very legalistic, and they will tell you that there will be no animals. Uh, your or the, well, let me rephrase that. They won't say there's no animals. What they will say is, is your pet cat Irma isn't going to heaven when she dies, because she doesn't have a soul, because she wasn't made in the image of God and given a soul in the same sense that that the first humans were. And there are two responses I, I have to that. I don't argue with legalistic people because, frankly, I don't know. I don't argue with extremists. It's a waste of time. Um, you know, if, 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 for example, if you were listening to this um, maybe for the first time today just to try it out and immediately had a bad reaction, it's probably better if you just don't come back. Because if you want to debate this with me, as soon as it as soon as it becomes apparent to me that you're just argumentative and really all you're wanting to do is get me to roll over, give you my neck and admit that you're right and I'm wrong, mm-hmm. you know, then, then not going to do it. Extremists aren't satisfied to just win the victory. They won't quit until their enemy has been thoroughly defeated. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. So, I don't argue with legalistic people about whether your cat and dog are going to heaven. But here's what I think. I think one of two possibilities. Number one, I think it wouldn't be much of a heaven if you couldn't sit with a nice cuddly cat on your lap and relax. I don't know that it would be much of a heaven if you didn't have a dog who in many cases teaches us more about the ideal human than a lot of people you know because as as the old saying goes you know the the fellow prayed one day lord make me the kind of person my dog thinks i am you know um and and so if not my dog 
the one that I knew, the one that I named, the one that was part of my life for 12, 15 years. Then dogs Mm -hmm. in general, wild animals, beautiful animals, animals that we couldn't really watch in safety now that we could interact with in a way, you know, you have this fantasy about wanting to ride a dinosaur, you know? Well, just hang out with them. It doesn't have to be riding. Okay. they might not be into that, and that's fine. I just want to hang out. But here's another theory I have. And this goes back to what the Bible says about marriage, that the two become one. And, you know, it could be talking about the physicality of reproduction and all that, but it also is a fact that people who have been married for a long time have so many shared memories that they've distributed between them mm-hmm. that when one dies, a huge piece of the living person is lost because it went with that person. Yeah, the shared consciousness. And and so and and really that's even true in our families, you know, to some extent, parts of who I am are stored in you. And parts of who you are, are stored in me, you know, and your story. Um, I remember your birth, but I bet you don't. You know, but you know the story of your birth because I've told it to you. And so I've told you what you didn't remember, and now you have a sort of memory of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the whole point is, is that we, we have this collective sort of shared consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent we impart bits of our souls to the animals that we have around us. And I think that when a particular pet becomes really precious to us, and there is a sort of synergy in that relationship, um, that that there is a there is a sort of of continuity. That I wonder mm-hmm. that that you know. And and again, I'm with I'm with Jack on this. I'm not saying this is absolutely certain, but I'm willing to speculate. That it could be that there will be some animal in heaven that we have seen before <laughs> because something of ourselves has been imparted to them. And since ourselves are eternal, mm-hmm. that part of us that is eternal that's been imparted to them might also be there. Mm-hmm. Please, folks, don't, you know, I'm always, we're always begging people to write, we're always begging people to communicate. Nobody does, and then somebody will come after me on this one. I'm just telling you what I think well, might because be. Jack is speculating here, and he says and, so. And I'm expressing that based on the fact that someone that we have gathered to talk about for months now has also speculated that way. Well, and he, like, I think he's right there with you on that because, like I said, when you read the Narnia stories, and, you know, when I said higher plane, I was also thinking, like, there are several instances in the Bible where animals speak. Yes. Like, the serpent's the obvious one, but also, like, Balaam's the, ass. Balaam's, ass <laughs> Balaam's donkey <laughs> speaks. Yeah. So, to, and, and, and in chroni- the Chronicles of Narnia, there are many, 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 many characters that are animals who speak. But yeah. there's a really great scene in the book Prince Caspian, which is kind of midway through the series where um, some of the Pevensey kids that are the main characters, they've come back to Narnia, but it's many, many, many centuries since they were first there. And the youngest Lucy goes 
to talk to she sees she sees a bear and she goes to talk to the bear and the bear turns around and tries to attack her and she's like kind of freaked out because she's used to being able to talk to any of them and yeah yeah and i remember this and a dwarf the the dlf the one of my favorite characters um he explains that that's not that that this is a different narnia than what she was used to and it's because people stopped talking to them yeah and stopped treating them like they had souls right and they lost that little spark of humanity they had and became wild again so to me i think he's right there with you that yeah. we impart and he says it that he thinks maybe we impart some of our humanity to them. And if that's the case, then I don't see why the creator of everything isn't imparting some of our godlikeness to every creature he created. Yeah. Um, which I think would be really cool because Nar- that's one of the best things about reading the Narnia books is like, this is a, a universe. This is a world where all of these creatures exist together and there's communication, like even the trees talk, which is really cool if you're a tree lover. So cool. I like that idea. Well, I, think I also like the thought that Earl might be hanging out with me in heaven. Of course. <laughs> I think we might be reaching the end of the road here um, for this mm-hmm. conversation. So uh, I'm going to wrap this one up and um we have been for a few months now recording in advance. Uh, we started recording two at a time in advance some time ago because we felt that it would be better for you, beloved listener, because this way you didn't have to wonder for weeks at a time when the next one was mm-hmm. going to drop, like when we were on vacation or something. And and so we thought, well, let's just be more professional. Mm-hmm. We both listen to podcasts a lot, and you know I chuckle when you talk about a producer. <laughs> uh, you're listening to the producer of this podcast, my friends. Although I'm proud of what we've accomplished, and I hope that over the months you've heard improvements in the quality of the podcast because we're always trying to improve it um, for the sake of those who listen and because it's just sort of fun to always up your game, sort mm-hmm. of a sanctifying process mm-hmm. of podcasting. And uh, so with that being said, anyway, uh, we will be gone about the time that you hear this. We, Bethany and I and our group will be in Israel. We're just over like, uh, just over a week away. Yeah. So when you hear this. Today's the 10 day. Say a prayer for us because we're having a wonderful time. Wish you were there. <laughs> and uh, while we are there, we will make some recordings at different times. And one of two things will happen. We'll either compile them into a single episode when we get back or we'll see if there's a way that we can push those up to you in uh smaller bites just so you can share the experience but in the meantime we will finish this journey through uh mere christianity in about a month right around thanksgiving Mm -hmm. we should be done if you're listening in real time and then starting with the Lent, or Lent, wrong holiday, <laughs> with the Advent, Advent. season, um, we have a new study that we're looking at that we thought would be fun. And it's by the same study guide author, uh, because we really enjoyed his work. And uh, it's about the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And we thought that'd be fun to do over the Christmas time. So Because Frank Capra rocks. Yeah. 
So we watched Mr. Deeds yesterday, at least parts of it. The one with Cary Grant. No, uh, Gary, Gary Cooper. Cooper. You just did like a dyslexic moment there. You kind of flipped your letters around. I did because Gary my f- you were looking at me when I said it, yeah. and my mouth made the... <laughs> My mouth said <laughs> Gary Cooper, but my voice said Cary Grant. It was really weird because I knew who I was thinking of anyway. Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur. You you that, lovely people don't need to Mr. hear all Deeds this. Goes to town. Yeah, Mr. Deeds with Gene Arthur and Gary Cooper. All just don't even watch the newer ones. Nope. Just just go watch that one. Well, really, just go watch Frank Capra movies because you're yeah. bound to feel good by the end. True that. Okay, here we go. Folks, thanks for listening. We love you. We're honored that you come to hear this and and to value it in some way. As always, we really would love to hear from you, if only to let us know you're listening. We will be satisfied just to know that you're out there. And one of the ways that you could do that is to just simply drop us a line. You can write an email to us by going to shilohum.org. And finding the contact information there. You can get the Shiloh app in your Google Play Store or your iTunes Store uh, and, and, uh, or your, your, uh, your app store on your iPhone. And you just look for Shiloh Jasper. There are other Shiloh churches out there, but Shiloh Jasper will be the one you want. You can also uh, see us on Facebook at Knowing God with Heart and Mind. But let us know you're out there. And if you're one of those folks that's not from Jasper, why don't you just drop us a line and say, listening from, and then name wherever it is you're listening from. Mm-hmm. That would be fun for us. Maybe we'll put a map up down here where we record these, and we can we can put little pinpoints on all of the places where people have said, I'm listening. <laughs> If you're an old ham radio person from back in the day, you'll know that that's called uh, uh, a uh, uh, QSL card or or um, a CQ card. You know that that hams will talk to each other, and then they'll e- they will physically mail cards back and forth to each other that you can put up on your wall saying, "I've talked to this guy in Poughkeepsie," or whatever. I'm not going to lie, the most I know about ham radio is from Stranger Things. Yeah. This yeah. season, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't know much. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. God bless you. See you next time. Bye.